Hello and welcome back, Supreme Court Buffs. My name is Aaron Larson, and you are listening to the second episode of Landmark Decisions in the United States Supreme Court. The main focus of this podcast will be to highlight the key decisions that made the Supreme Court and the United States what it is today. In this episode, we will be looking at the first official docketed Supreme Court case, Van Stophurst v. Maryland, as well as the first decided case by the court in West v. Barnes. Both of these cases took place in the August session of 1791 and were decided very early on in the same month. Our story begins with the case of Van Stophurst v. Maryland and will actually begin during the Revolutionary War. At this time, the Van Stopperst brothers were a fairly wealthy group that stood behind the colonists. Because of this, they lent money and uniforms to the state of Maryland and subsequently the colonial army. The original terms of the loan agreed that Maryland would pay the brothers back by allowing them to buy flour and tobacco at fixed costs lower than they would normally be. The flour acted in the form of the general principle of the sum loaned to the Maryland government, while the tobacco was interest on top. The brothers would then sell these goods to consumers for a profit. This was a form of credit, as the brothers would not be getting paid back in money at all. By 1781, Thomas Ridley was appointed as the lead agent for acquirement of loans and supplies in Maryland. This position came with the duty of paying back the loans that the state of Maryland took out during the Revolutionary War. Ridley and legislators in the Maryland General Assembly began to realize that the value of the tobacco they were selling at a fixed price was actually much more valuable than what they were selling it at. The brothers were making quite the profit overall. Ridley, in order to satisfy the remaining loan, looked all over the world to acquire the amount of flour and tobacco needed to satisfy the remaining loan. He looked especially in England and France, but there was not enough, and the loan could not be finished as quickly as desired. As they noticed that the price of tobacco was considerably higher than the fixed price Maryland was selling it for, Ridley and the legislature attempted to make a new agreement and change the original terms. The brothers saw their profits in the tobacco industry and declined the offers they were given. The Maryland House of Delegates offered new terms at both 6% interest and 7.5% interest at a three-year fixed rate. This would do away with the fixed costs of flour and tobacco, and instead, the brothers would be paid back through money. The Van Stophurst brothers refused this form of payment in 1786, and Maryland refused to pay back the loan according to the terms set out in their agreement. The brothers later cut off all correspondence with the state of Maryland as they became outraged at the offers they were being given and eventually the legislature refused to comply with the original agreement, as the brothers refused to acknowledge them. We see that both parties are at a crossroads at this point. Arbitration of the case was later set in 1787 for the dispute to be settled legally. The state of Maryland continued to extend deals towards the brothers with higher and higher fixed interest rates and additional payments in exchange for doing away with the tobacco as a form of payment. Although there was no agreement, 
the state of Maryland ended the fixed tobacco rates with the brothers and started paying them according to these deals without their official consent. The brothers were not satisfied with this, obviously, and filed a suit in the Supreme Court of the United States. After the threat of Supreme Court litigation, both parties ended up backing down. The state of Maryland was issued a summons to appear in Philadelphia in order to argue the case in February of 1791. Before the oral arguments took place, the suit was settled, but nonetheless laid the groundwork for what kind of cases would appear before the Supreme Court. Although this very first case, which was heard by the court, did not offer any opinion or precedent, the court itself was finally coming into view as to how they would conduct themselves and the cases they were hearing. Later in the session, we see the case of West B. Barnes, and this will offer more than we saw in the case previously. The case of West v. Barnes was heard by the Supreme Court on August 2nd, the first day of the August term, in 1791, and was decided a day later on August 3rd. This case represents the first official decision handed down by the Supreme Court after hearing oral arguments from both sides. The background of the West v. Barnes case centers around William West, the plaintiff of Rhode Island. West was a farmer and an anti-federalist justice from Rhode Island, and previously he served in the Revolutionary War as a general. West purchased a large quantity of molasses on credit from Daniel Jenkins of Providence in 1763 and used his farm as collateral in the deal. This molasses deal later went under in the same year, and West subsequently owed a large mortgage on his farm. For the next 20-plus years, West made payments on the mortgage, but asked the state for permission to conduct a lottery in 1785 to help pay off the remainder of his mortgage. The state granted him permission and noted his Revolutionary War service as honorable in this deal. Much of the proceeds were paid in paper currency, not gold or silver. This was allowed by the state statute by lodging the funds with the state judge to be collected within 10 days. Now it should be noted that the original terms of the agreement between West and Jenkins laid out that he that Jenkins shall be paid back in gold and silver, not paper currency. In fact, in 1763, paper currency in Maryland was few and far between. Nonetheless, David Leonard Barnes the other party in the case was an heir of the Jenkins fortune and a well-known attorney in Rhode Island at the time. Barnes brought his suit into federal court based on diversity jurisdiction, and he asserted that gold and silver was required by the agreement, not paper currency. The case went before the circuit court in June of 1791 before Chief Justice John Jay and Associate Justices William Cushing and Henry Marchand. West represented himself pro se, even though he had no formal legal training. The justices unanimously rejected his arguments, and West later appealed to the Supreme Court on a writ of error. 
This writ of error directs an inferior court to remit the record of a legal action to the reviewing court to establish that an error of law may be corrected if it exists. In today's language, we know these writs of error as appeals. As he could not make it to represent himself before the Supreme Court in Philadelphia, West allowed Pennsylvania's Attorney General, William Bradford Jr., to take the case on his behalf. On the first and only day of oral arguments, Bradford presented a writ of error signed and sealed out of the Circuit Court of Rhode Island and commanded a return of the judgment by the Supreme Court of the United States. This Circuit Court was the one that originally heard the case of West v. Barnes and ruled in Barnes' favor. Barnes, the counselor for the Jenkins family, objected to the validity of this writ, saying it should have been issued by the clerk of the Supreme Court, not the clerk of Rhode Island. These were the official rules of the time period as the court that was to hear the appeal was the one that was supposed to issue the writ. It had therefore been issued by the wrong office, and there were no procedural grounds to make a different decision in the United States. For this to be the case, if West wanted an appeal to be heard by the Supreme Court, he would have had to have traveled from Rhode Island to Philadelphia and submit the motion within 10 days of the decision in his circuit court case. This would have been a tough task to get done considering travel methods in the late 18th century. Especially thinking, if this case had happened in South Carolina or Georgia, in the Southern Circuit, it would have been virtually impossible to get from those states to Philadelphia in order to file an appeal with the Supreme Court. Ultimately, the motion of the writ of error was refused, and the case was decided that a writ of error or appeal must have been issued within 10 days of the decision in the circuit courts by the clerk of the Supreme Court as required by federal statute. This decision was ultimately changed by the Process and Compensation Act of 1792, allowing circuit courts to issue these writs as it would assist citizens living farther away from the capital where the Supreme Court conducted its matters. Nonetheless, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Barnes in this case, citing procedural grounds as the matter. The court held that writs of error to remove causes to the Supreme Court from inferior courts can only be issued from the clerk's office of the Supreme Court, not from the lower courts. Each of the five justices issued a seriatim opinion in which each judge reads his or her own argument. They looked to English common law and pre-revolution case law for precedent, including treatises from Edward Coke and William Blackstone, two prominent English law commentators. This eventually led them to their decision to refuse the case due to federal statute. West was eventually forced to relinquish his farm in the aftermath of this case and led to a later circuit court decision in West v. Randall in 1820. Although these cases hold no precedent today and in fact were quite simple in their material, we see that the court begins to understand where it stands in the federal government. 
No judicial review exists at this point, but in West v. Barnes, we see the beginnings of this process. The outcomes of these cases were covered in newspapers across the early United States as no official court reporter was yet republished in 1791. This is where we get most of our knowledge about the Supreme Court cases this early on in the United States. In the early years of the court, unanimous decisions are very common, and this starts right from the beginning in West v. Barnes. Today's episode represents the beginning of Supreme Court decisions, and although they are not exactly landmark decisions in Van Stophurst v. Maryland and West v. Barnes, they still hold ground as important in laying the groundwork for future cases. Further reading from today's podcast can be found on the Library of Congress website where court decisions are written out and in Timothy Larson's article, West v. Barnes, the first Supreme Court decision published by the Rhode Island Bar Association Journal in July of 2010. Come back next week when we will be discussing Chisholm v. Georgia as well as Hilton v. United States. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter under the username of at A-L-A-R-S-175 if you wish to leave me comments and questions on today's episode. I ask that you please follow, rate, and like my podcast so I can continue to improve my skills and gain listeners. Thank you all for listening today, and I will see you next week. All of the work and research done for this podcast is the sole property of myself, Aaron Larson, and shall not be downloaded or reproduced without my express written consent.